Chapter Thirty Six of the Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter Thirty Six: Discovery of Beckworth's Pass. No pecuniary reward for public services. Transformation. A new character. Emigrants at home and at their journey's end. Description of the Happy Valley. Interesting reminiscences. The next spring I engaged in mining and prospecting in various parts of the gold region. I advanced as far as the American Valley, having one man in my company, and proceeded north into the Pitt River country, where we had a slight difficulty with the Indians. We had come upon a party who manifested the utmost friendship towards us, but I, knowing how far friendly appearances could be trusted to, cautioned my partner on no account to relinquish his gun. If the Indians should attempt to take it, they crowded round us, pretending to have the greatest interest in the pack that we carried, until they made a sudden spring and seized our guns and attempted to wrest them from our grasp. I jerked from them and retreated a few steps, then, cocking my gun, I bade them, if they wished to fight, to come on. This produced a change in their feelings, and they were very friendly again, begging caps and ammunition of us, which, of course, we refused. We then walked backwards for about 150 yards, still keeping our pieces ready should they attempt further hostilities, but they did not deem it prudent to molest us again. While on this excursion, I discovered what is now known as Beckwith's Pass in the Sierra Nevada. For some of the elevation over which we passed, I remarked a place far away to the southward that seemed lower than any other. I made no mention of it to my companion, but thought that at some future time I would examine into it further. I continued on to Shasta with my fellow traveler and returned after a fruitless journey of eighteen days. After a short stay in the American Valley, I again started out with a prospecting party of twelve men. We killed a bullock before starting out and dried the meat in order to have provisions to last us during the trip. We proceeded in an easterly direction and all busied themselves in searching for gold. But my errand was of a different character. I had come to discover what I suspected to be a pass. It was the latter end of April when we entered upon an extensive valley at the northwest extremity of the sierra range the valley was already robed in freshest verdure contrasting most delightfully with the huge snow-clad masses of rocks we had just left flowers of every variety and hue spread their variegated charms before us magpies were chattering and gorgeously plumaged birds were caroling in the delights of unmolested solitude swarms of wild geese and ducks were swimming on the surface of the cool crystal stream which was the central fork of the rio de las plumas or sailed the air in clouds over our heads deer and antelope filled the plains and their boldness was conclusive that the hunter's rifles was to them unknown nowhere visible were any traces of the white man's approach and is probable that our steps were the first that ever walked the spot. We struck across this beautiful valley to the waters of the Yuba, from thence to the waters of the Truckee, 
which latter flowed in an easterly direction telling us we were on the eastern slope of the mountain range this i at once saw would afford the best wagon road into the american valley approaching from the eastward and i imparted my views to three of my companions in whose judgment i placed the most confidence they thought highly of the discovery and even proposed to associate with me in opening the road we also found gold but not in sufficient quantity to warrant our working it and furthermore the ground was too wet to admit of our prospecting to our any advantage on my return to the american valley i made known my discovery to mr turner a proprietor of the american ranch who entered enthusiastically into my views it was a thing he said he had never dreamed of before if i could but carry out my plan and divert travel into the road he thought i should be a made man for life thereupon he drew me up a subscription list setting forth the merits of the project and showing how the road could be made practicable to bidwell's bar and thence to marysville where which latter place would derive peculiar advantages from the discovery he headed the subscription with two hundred dollars when i reached bidwell's bar and unfolded my project the town was seized with a perfect mania for the opening of the route the subscriptions towards the fund required for its accomplishment amounted to five hundred dollars i then proceeded to marysville a place which would unquestionably derive greater benefit from the newly discovered route than any other place on the way since this must be the entrepot or principal starting place for emigrants i communicated with several of the most influential residents on the subject in hand they also spoke very encouragingly of my undertaking and referred me before all others to the mayor of the city accordingly i waited upon that gentleman and mr miles and brought the matter under his notice representing it as being a legitimate matter for his interference and offering substantial advantages to the commercial prosperity of the city the mayor entered warmly into my views and pronounced it as his opinion that the profits resulting from the speculation could not be less than from six to ten thousand dollars and as the benefits accruing the city would be incalculable he would insure my expenses while engaged upon it i mentioned that i should prefer some guarantee before entering upon my labors to secure me against loss of what money i might lay out leave that to me said the mayor i will attend to the whole affair i feel confident that a subject of so great importance to our interest will engage the earliest attention i thereupon left the whole proceeding in his hands and immediately setting men to work upon the road went out to the trutchy to turn emigration into my newly discovered route while thus busily engaged i was seized with erysipelas and abandoned all hopes of recovery i was over one hundred miles away from medical assistance and my only shelter was a brush tent i made my will and resigned myself to death life still lingered in me however and a train of wagons came up and encamped near to where i lay 
I was reduced to a very low condition, but I saw the drivers and acquainted them with the object which had brought me out there. They offered to attempt the new road if I thought myself sufficiently strong to guide them through it. The women, God bless them, came to my assistance, and through their kind attentions and excellent nursing, I rapidly recovered from my lingering sickness until I was soon able to mount my horse and lead the first train, consisting of seventeen wagons, through Beckworth's Pass. We reached the American Valley without the least accident, and the immigrants expressed entire satisfaction with the route. I returned with the train through to Marysville, and on the intelligence being communicated of the practicability of my road, there was quite a public rejoicing. A northern route had been discovered, and the city had received an impetus that would advance her beyond all her sisters on the Pacific shore. I felt proud of my achievements and was foolish enough to promise myself a substantial recognition of my labors. I was destined to be disappointed. For that same night, Marysville was laid in ashes. The mayor of the ruined town congratulated me upon bringing a train through. He expressed great delight at my good fortune, but regretted that their recent calamity had placed it entirely beyond his power to obtain for me any substantial reward, with the exception of some two hundred dollars subscribed by some liberal-minded citizens of Marysville. I have received no indemnification for the money and labor I have expended upon my discovery. The city has been greatly benefited by it, as all much acknowledge, for the emigrants that now flock to Marysville would otherwise have gone to Sacramento. Sixteen hundred dollars I expended upon the road is forever gone. But those who derive advantage from this outlay and loss of time devoted no thought to the discoverer, nor do I see clearly how I am to help myself. For everyone knows I cannot roll a mountain into the pass and shut it up. But there is one thing certain, although I recognize no superior in love of country and feel in all its force the obligation imposed upon me to advance her interest, still when I go out hunting in the mountains, a road for everybody to pass through, and expending my time and capital upon an object for which I shall derive no benefit, it will be because I have nothing better to do. In the spring of 1852, I established myself in Beckworth Valley and finally found myself transformed into a hotel keeper and chief of a trading post. My house is considered the emigrant's landing place, as it is the first ranch he arrives at in the Golden State, and is the only house between this point and Salt Lake. Here is a valley 240 miles in circumference, containing some of the choicest land in the world. Its yield of hay is incalculable. The red and white clovers spring up spontaneously, and the grass that covers its smooth surface is of the most nutritious nature. When the weary, toil-worn emigrant reaches this valley, he feels himself secure. He can lay himself down and taste refreshing repose, undisturbed by the fear of Indians. 
His cattle can graze around him in pasture up to their eyes, without running any danger of being driven off by the Arabs of the forest, and springs flow before them as pure as any that refreshes this verdant earth. When I stand at my door and watch the weary, wayworn travelers approach, their wagons holding together by a miracle, their stock in the last stage of emaciation, and themselves a perfect exaggeration of caricature, I frequently amuse myself with imagining the contrast they must offer to the two ensemble and general opinion that presented to their daring friends when they first set out upon their journey. We will take a fancy sketch of them as they start from their homes. We will fancy their strong and well-stored wagon, brand new for the occasion, and so firmly put together that to look at it one would suppose it fit to circumrotate the globe as many times as there are spokes in the wheels then their fat and frightened steers so high-spirited and fractious that it takes the father and his two or three sons to get each under the yoke next the ambitious emigrant and his proud family with their highly raised expectations of the future that is before them the father so confident and important who deems the eastern states unworthy of his abilities and can alone find a sufficiently ample field in the growing republic on the pacific side the mother who is unwilling to leave her pleasant gossiping friends and early associations is still half tempted to believe that the crop of gold that waits their gathering may indemnify her for her labors so they pull up stakes and leave town in good style expecting to return with whole cartloads of gold dust and dazzle their neighbors eyes with their excellent good fortune the girls dear creatures put on their very best as all their admiring beaux assembled to see them and to give them the last kiss they were received east of the nevada mountains for their idea is that they will be snatched up and married the moment they step over the threshold into California by some fine young gentleman who is a solid pile of gold, and they joyously start away in anticipation of the event, their hats decked with ribbons, their persons in long flowing riding dresses, their delicate fingers glittering with rings, their charming little ankles encased, in their fashionable and neatly laced gaiters at the close of the day perhaps amid a pelting rain these same parties heave wearily into sight they have achieved the passage of the plains and their pleasant eastern homes with their agreeable sociable neighbors are now at a distance it is painful to contemplate the brave show they made at starting as the whole town hurried them off is sadly faded away their wagon appears like a relic of the revolution after doing hard service for the commissariat its cover burned into holes and torn to tatters its strong axles replaced with rough pieces of trees hewn by the wayside the tires bound on with ropes the iron linchpins gone and chips of hickory substituted and rags wound round the hubs to hold them together which they keep continually wetted to prevent falling to pieces 
the oxen are held up by the tail to keep them upon their legs and the ravens and magpies evidently feel themselves ill-treated in being driven off from what they deem their lawful rights the old folks are peevish and quarrelsome the young men are so headstrong and the small children so full of wants and precisely at a time when everything has given out and they have nothing to pacify them with but the poor girls have suffered the most their glossy luxuriant locks that won so much admiration are now frizzled and discolored by the sun their elegant riding habit is replaced with an improvised bloomer and their neat little feet are exposed in sad disarray their fingers are white no longer and in place of rings we see sundry bits of rag wound round to keep the dirt from entering their sore cuts the young men of gold who looked so attractive in the distance are now too often found to be worthless of no intrinsic value their time employed in haunting gaming tables or dram shops and their habits corrupted by unthrift and dissipation i do not wish to speak disparagingly of my adopted state and by no means to intimate the slightest disrespect to the many worthy citizens who have crossed the plains i appeal to the many who have witnessed the picture for the accuracy of my portraiture so much good material constantly infused into society ought to improve the character of the compound but the demoralizing effect of transplantation greatly neutralize the benefits take a family from their peaceful and happy home in a community where good morals are observed and the tone of society exercises a salutary influence and over the thoughts of both old and young and put them in such a place as this where all is chaotic and the principles that regulate the social intercourse of men are not yet recognized as law and their dignity of thought and prestige of position is bereft from them they have to struggle among a greedy unscrupulous populace for the means of living their homes have yet acquired no comfort and they feel isolated and abandoned and it is even worse upon the children all corrective influence is removed from them and the examples that surround them are often of the most vicious and worst possible description all wholesome objects of ambition being removed and money alone substituted as a reward of their greed they grow up unlike their fathers and is only those in whom there is a solid substratum of correct feeling that mature into good citizens and proper men the girls too little darlings suffer severely they have left their worthy sweethearts behind and cannot get back to them and those who now offer themselves here are not fit to bestow a thought upon everything is strange to them they miss their little social reunions their quilting parties their winter quadrilles the gossip of the village their delightful summer haunts and their dear paternal fireside they have no pursuits except of the grosser kind and all their refinements are roughed over by the prevailing struggle after gold much stock is lost in crossing the plains through their drinking the alkali water which flows 
from the Sierra Nevada, becoming impregnated with the poisonous material either in its source or in its passage among the rocks. There are also poisonous herbs springing up in the region of the mineral waters, which the poor famishing animals devour without stint. Those who survive until they reach the valley are generally too far gone for recovery and die while resting to recruit their strength. Their infected flesh furnishes food to thousands of wolves which infest this place in the winter, and its effect upon them is singular. It depilates their warm coats of fur and renders their pelts as bare as the palm of a man's hand. My faithful dogs have killed numbers of them at different times, divested entirely of hair except on the extremity of the nose, ears, and tail. They present a truly comical and extraordinary appearance. This general loss of cattle deprives many of the poor emigrants of the means of hauling their lightened wagons, which, by the time they reach my ranch, seldom contain anything more than their family clothing and bedding. Frequently I have observed wagons pass my house with one starveling yoke of cattle to drag them, and the family straggling on foot behind. Numbers have put up at my ranch without a morsel of food and without a dollar in the world to procure any. They never were refused what they asked for at my house, and during the short space that I have spent in the valley, I have furnished provisions and other necessaries to the numerous sufferers who have applied for them to a very serious amount. Some have since paid me, but the bills of many remain unsettled. Still, although a prudent businessman would condemn the proceedings, I cannot find it in my heart to refuse relief to such necessities, and, if my pocket suffers a little, I have my recompense in a feeling of internal satisfaction. My pleasant valley is thirty-five miles at its greatest breadth. It is irrigated by two streams with their various small tributaries. These form a junction about ten miles from my house up the valley, which, as you remount it, becomes the central fork of the Feather River. All these streams abound with trout, some of them weighing seven or eight pounds. In the main ones, there are also plenty of otter. Antelopes and deer are to be found the entire year, unless the winter is unusually severe, when they cross the mountains in the eastern slope. Grizzly bears come and disappear again without asking leave of any man. There are wolves of every species, together with foxes, hares, rabbits, and other animals. Of the feathered tribe, we have wild geese, ducks, sage hens, grouse, and a large variety of smaller birds. Service berries and cherries are the only kinds of fruit that grow from nature's cultivation. The growth of timber about the valley is principally pitch pine, although there is a considerable intermixture of cedar. I have never yet sown any grain, but I have cultivated a small kitchen garden and raised cabbage, turnips, and radishes of great size. I have never known the snow to fall to a greater depth than three feet, and when the storms are over, it dissolves very rapidly, notwithstanding the elevation is many thousand feet above the level of the Pacific. The snow clings to the mountain peaks 
that overlooked the valley to the eastward the year round and as it is continually melting and feeding the streams it keeps the water icy cold all the summer through about a mile and a half distance from my house there is a large sulphur spring and on the eastern slope in the desert there are copious hot springs supplying the traveller with boiling water for his coffee without the cost of fuel the country rises on the summit of the sierra nevada opposite the headwaters of the yuba and runs in an easterly direction until it loses itself in pyramid lake about fifty miles east of this valley this lake is a great natural curiosity as it receives not alone the waters of the trunchy but numerous other streams and has no visible outlet its surcharge of water probably filtering into the earth like st mary's river and some others i have met with there is no place in the whole state that offers so many attractions for a few weeks or months retirement for its charms of scenery with sylvan and piscatorial sports present unusual attractions during the winter season my nearest neighbors are sixteen miles away in the summer they are within four miles of my house so that social broils do not much disturb me there is a pleasant hysterical incident associated with st mary's river which as it can be familiar to but few of my readers i will relate here the st mary's river is known to most persons as the river humboldt since that is the name that has been since conferred upon it in honor of the distinguished european traveller i prefer the former name as being more poetical though less assuming an indian woman the wife of a canadian named chapineau who acted as interpreter and guide to lewis and clark during their explorations of the rocky mountains was suddenly seized with the pains of labor and gave birth to a son on the banks of this mysterious river the red-headed chief clark adopted the child thus rudely issued into the world and on his return to st louis took the infant with him and baptized it john baptist clark chapineau after a careful culture of his mind the boy was sent to europe to complete his education but the indian was ineffaceable in him the indian lodge and his native mountain fastnesses possess greater charms than the luxuries of civilized life he returned to the desert and passed his days with his tribe mary the mother of the child was a crow very pleasing and intelligent and may have been for all i know connected with some of my many relatives in that tribe it was in honor of this event and to perpetuate her memory that the river received its original name st mary's and as such is still known to the mountaineers end of chapter thirty six